Have you ever complained, right? Anybody ever complained? Yes, of course. Don't even put your hand up. We know. We're all guilty. But sometimes we complain uh, to God, uh, about God, about him doing his job, like, correctly, right? And uh, complaining is, is kind of the idea that we're getting here uh, with Bruce and this whole kind of clip, complaining. And what complaining means, or it can be defined as this, uh, to express dissatisfaction or to find fault, right? To complain, to express your displeasure about a situation, or to be annoyed, Complaining, grumbling, and murmuring are like ratty stepchildren, right? All those three. They just, uh, like, all related. None of them good. And people, uh, you know, people complain about all kinds of things. Uh, Did a little search on the top ten things that people complain about. Uh, Here they are. Slow (laughs) Wi-Fi. Waiting at the drive-thru. 40-hour work week. Weather, uh, weather, uh, weather, the weather outside, flying. Uh, some complain about the toilet seat being up. Can you imagine that? Facebook status, typos, Mondays. And my favorite, the number one thing people complain about, complaining. <laughs> And uh, so st- studies have re- revealed several things. If you do a little search on uh, studies about complaining, and, and it, uh, this is, I found interesting. Maybe this will help all of us a little bit, okay? They're, they're, all complaining can be grouped into three different categories. Three different categories. And let me share those with you. The first one is uh, chronic complaining. They should be up on your screen here. Chronic complaining. These are people who are never happy about anything, right? They are numb to their problem, and complaining has just been, it's become their way of life. They just complain. That's what they do. They don't even realize they do it. They just complain about everything. It doesn't matter if it's at home or at work or at church or driving or shopping. They're always just complaining. Chronic complaining. Second one is this, familiar venting. Okay, these are, uh, are expressed, people who expressed emotional dis satisfaction, right? These are people who, who see a problem. They're not interested in, in the problem as much as they are as getting attention to point out the problem. Familiar venting, right? The they, they, people that they're not looking to solve anything, they just want to be heard, right? They just want someone to pay attention to their feelings, their complaint. Okay, and, and we're, we're probably all a little guilty of these things, you know, in some way or another. I know I find myself, depending on the situation, uh, doing some complaining about things. The first two, these first two, chronic and familiar, are um, most always the result of everyone. The result of them is everyone around the people end up feeling worse, and the mood is dampened. It's like negativity comes into the room, and, and the complainers just kind of take the joy out of everything. The third complaining is this. It's called instrumental complaints, and this is healthy complaining. This is where we can take some notes, okay? This kind of complaining is about dealing with an issue and solving a problem. That's what this kind of complaining has to do with. Like your spouse complaining about you buying a new rifle when she can't even pay the electric bill. Complaining, okay? You might call that nagging, right? Or, or you know, nagging about something. It's, it's, it has to do with a real-life issue. And, uh, and then what can be done to, to, to do things differently or to, to bring about some kind of change. Studies have also showed that uh, these things about complaining is this, that people who complain less tend to be happier. They tend to be happier. And complaining a lot usually creates more complainers. Have you ever noticed that? 
One person starts and pretty soon everyone jumps in and everyone's complaining about something because somebody broke the ice and got it going. Teddy Roosevelt said this, check this out. Complaining about a problem without proposing a solution is called whining. It's called whining. That's good, I thought that was good. So complaining, can, can, can complaining be conquered? You know, sometimes I think maybe we just feel like this is just the way I am, this is the way it's become, and this is what I do. And, uh, and we almost like are proud of the fact that we are the one that points everything out that's wrong. Can it be com- conquered? Can we conquer our, our complaining spirit? And, and what more than can we conquer it is what does God think about complaining? What does God have to say about murmuring and grumbling and complaining? So I want to take a look at what God has to say about that. And, and we see it in several different cases. The first one is Moses. Okay, remember Moses? Everybody's saying Moses. All right, Moses. So, so Moses, like, he's doing his very best, right? I mean, the guy's just a human being. He's doing his best. He's answered God's call, you know, to deliver the people from Egypt. And he's led them out of slavery and bondage. He's, you know, God has used him to perform miracles uh, at the sea and food and, and all the plagues that Pharaoh had to deal with. And they arrive at the edge of the promised land, right? They, they go through the desert. They get to the promised land through all kinds of trials and miracles and what do the people do are they grateful to be out of bondage like are they grateful that they're no longer slaves making bricks for the Egyptians are they grateful that now they have a better hope for their children and their future they've witnessed the mighty hand of God at work do they look at all the good no they don't so in numbers 11 look what it says when the people complained intensely in the Lord's hearing. The Lord heard and became angry. Then the Lord's fire burned them and consumed the edge of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire subsided. The name of the place was called Teberah because the Lord's fire burned against them. Isn't that sad? I mean, you think about that and it's easy for us to look back and say, wow, man, those people, they shouldn't have complained. But but we have no idea what they were really going through day after day, hour after hour. I'm sure it wasn't very pleasant. But in, in light of where they were to where they were going, a world of difference, right? All the, world in the reason, uh, all the reason in the world to be thankful. 14 times Israel outwardly complains against God. The deliverance, the water, the manna, thirsty, hungry, idols, food, Moses' leadership, the giants in the land, the desert against God himself. And most of their complaining, in fact, all of their complaining, had to do with them rather going back to Egypt and being in bondage than to be free and follow God into the future. See, most of their complaining was about, we wish we could just go back to bondage and the familiar. Sound sound familiar? I mean, sometimes that's us, right? The coffin of the comfortable. That's what that is, the coffin of the comfortable. Right? Rather go back to where it's safe and, and, and comfortable than to, to not know, to live in the uncertainty of what might come. See, their grumbling, their grumbling and their murmuring cost them 40 years in the, in the wilderness. 40 years of wandering. Now that got bad, right? 
40 years. It wasn't, didn't take that long to get to the promised land, but it's going to take them 40 years now. Why? Because God was going to wipe out that generation of complainers. And he was going to patiently wait for the next generation to begin to work with. And here's what we get out of this. Murmuring and complaining will keep you from the promised land. Oh, that's a pretty powerful truth, isn't it? The second example that we see in the scriptures is this, the landowner, the landowner. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven, being like a landowner, and so he sends out these, uh, these workers into the vineyards, right, to go work. Five different groups, different times of the day, they, he finds these workers and he sends them out, and, he, and, he, and, and it comes time to be paid at the end of the day, Remember? And he gives the, the group that worked the least amount of time the same amount of money that he agreed to the guys who worked all day. Remember that? So they all got the same pay, even though different ones worked different amounts of time. So the expectation uh, were really high, or the assumption was really high for the guys that had worked all day in the heat. But they received the same amount as the last group, they received what they agreed to. They got exactly what they agreed to. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 11, look what it says. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. They're not happy. Those, or these, they say, who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. Now, you, you know, you think about this, and I read this, and I go, well, you know, they kind of have a point, right? I mean, I mean, that's natural thought. Like, I worked all day. I get the same amount as this guy who only worked an hour. That, what, what's that? All, I, I, would be, I would be among them. Anybody else? Okay, okay, good. We're all human. We all get it. And, and, and so they, they have almost like a reason to gripe. But, but the fact is, should it matter what anyone else got? No, it shouldn't matter what anyone else got. And, and, and here's another thought. What if what the landowner was really looking for was hardworking, reliable men who were positive? Leader-type people. Maybe that's what the landowner was looking for in this whole thing. And their complaining just disqualified them from that. They're out. Here's your money. You're done. Is the landowner just a mean guy? You know, some might conclude that he is. But look what the landowner says in verse 13. He says, he replies to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarii? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who has hired last the same as I have given you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? Wow. Wow. And so we, we've got to remember that the pair that this is a story, it's a parable. We don't even know if this like actually happened. It's an illustration about the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to, to, to make a point about the kingdom of God. And in verse 16, the last thing he says about this is he says this: So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Right? So like, like right away we, we begin to think, okay, so so the Jews like were included in this whole thing of God from the very beginning, and now the Gentiles have been brought in, and that's not fair because now they're going to get heaven, and we've been following you, God, all our existence. All right, so grumble, grumble, grumble. Complain, complain. That's all, this also says to us that, you know, it's never too late. As long as you have breath, you have hope, right? 
That there's going to be some that later in their life give their life to Christ and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to find Christ and find hope and find eternal life and, and praise God for that. Should those who have been a Christian all their life complain about them? No, absolutely not. Right? See, it's, there's going to come, come a time where we're all going to have to give an account. It's coming. Right? And so, so they, they, they're like grumbling about fairness. And there's a lot of things that aren't fair in this world, right? Uh, anyone know who Matt Ryan is? Matt Ryan and uh, Patrick Mahomes, two guys. Okay, what are they? Quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay, so you know. Matt Ryan, check this out. Matt Ryan, Atlanta Falcons, been in the NFL for several years. Matt Ryan, Falcons, a record this year was seven and nine. Seven wins, nine losses. Keep that in mind. Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, first year as a starting quarterback this year. His record's 12-4, and four, leads his team to the AFC championship game, and they lose. We all know why. It was a cheap call. All right. <laughs> I have nothing invested in this. Matt Ryan makes $30 million. Patrick Mahomes makes four. Patrick Mahomes, Patrick, right. Patrick Mahomes, he's the MVP of the league this year. MVP of the league. He like set it on fire. And he makes so much less than, than Matt Ryan. Should he complain about that? Should he whine and grumble? I mean, come on, four million. What am I going to do with that? Like, I can't even buy a car. Right. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Right. right. So we all have reasons we can complain. Here's the truth about this, the landowner's idea is this. Complaining, here's what it will do. It will cloud your judgment and it will get you off point. That's what it will do. It'll cause you to think about things you shouldn't even be thinking about. What's fair, what's not fair, what's mine, what's not mine. And the third group is this, the Pharisees. You remember them and the scribes? Jesus is always confronting these guys about everything under the sun. The law, the prophets, the kingdom, God claims, miracles, when to eat, what to eat, how to eat it, what he did. I mean, they're always complaining about something. They could really like care less about the good Jesus was doing. What they were more concerned about, what their eyes were on, were themselves and their rules. This is the way we like it. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we want it to be. And they didn't think for a minute about what Jesus was about, what he was trying to teach, and what he was trying to tell all of us as humans, right? In Luke, so Jesus, in Luke, Jesus is talking about counting the cost of discipleship, right, in, in Luke 13. And he comes to the end of that little section, and here's what he says in Luke 14, verse 34. I'm sorry, 14. He says, if salt is good, but if, it, if salt loses its flavor, how will it become salty again? It has no value, neither for the soil nor the manure pile. People throw it away. Whoever has ears to hear should pay attention. Now, that's a beautiful saying, isn't it? And he's talking about these Jewish people who have become unsalty, right? God had called them, God had worked with them, God had used them, and God wanted them to be the salt and the light of the world, but they had lost it because their focus had become on them. It's a description of what happens when we lose focus. Judgment is clouded, focus and priorities kind of go out the window, complaining replaces all the good. Okay, we begin to complain about everything. Because it's just not fair, right? It just didn't happen the way I thought it should happen. It's not about me. 
And so we flip the page there in Luke, and Jesus is about to continue his teaching in Luke 15. And he's about to tell a story about uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, right? So he's about to go into these stories, talking about the kingdom of God and the generosity of God. But look what fuels his fire in the first two verses of Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Check this out. All the tax collectors and the sinners are gathered around Jesus to listen to him. Well, that's a good thing, right? I'm going to have a Bible study. We even got the religious people in. It's beautiful. Stage is set. Verse 2. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Sounds like religious people to me. I mean, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like all the wrong focus. It's all about me and our rules and and our stuff and our traditions. And how dare you, Jesus, come in here and put the focus somewhere else. You're supposed to come to earth and put the focus on what we have created. Our little kingdom. And so before they grumble about everything else, Jesus comes here. Now they're going to grumble about who he's hanging out with and who he's trying to share the good news with and who he's trying to bring salvation to. And so here's, here's, the, here's the truth that we get out of this. Complaining blooms when we forget what matters to God. See, when we forget what's important to God, then we begin to put ourselves and our own thoughts and our own ideas first and God's truths and God's will goes out the window. So what's this mean for us? Like, like what, are, what, what does this mean, these different examples, different people grumbling, and the whole idea of grumbling, what, so what? So what? Like, how, how, do I, how am I going to change this? What, what does this mean to me? Think about that with me. Ponder that for a, few thought, for a few minutes. Let me give you, like, three tips for handling your complaining heart, because that's where it's coming from, right? That's where it's coming from. Three tips about compla- your complaining heart, whether it's at work, or at home, or in the church, or in your car, <laughs> or you know, at the grocery store, wherever you are, if you find yourself being kind of a complaining person, I hope these three things will help you out. Number one, be more grateful. Right? Appreciate what you are blessed with. Right? We're, all, we're all dealt a different hand of cards when we're on the earth. Right? God gives every one of us a different hand to deal with, to live with, to work with, right? And what we should do is understand those gifts and those abilities and those resources and like embrace them and then be thankful for them. Be thankful for them. So get your eyes on what you do have and be grateful for the hand that you're dealt. Okay, because there's always those who have it worse than you and there will always be those who have it better than you. So that shouldn't matter at all. Okay? And, and the second thing under this idea is this. Don't compare yourself to others and the hand that they're dealt with. When you do that, you're in for the fall. You're in for complaining. Okay? There will always be those who have more or less. Be thankful and grateful for what you do have. Entitlement is a word that we hear a lot, right? Entitlement. We are entitled, or I'm entitled, or I deserve, or I should get, right? Like people suing people for, for the most absurd reasons because they just want something for nothing right? They want, they feel like, I am entitled. How dare they? And I'm going to now sue for millions and millions of dollars. Entitlement is the belief that you deserve certain privileges, right? So these guys, the Israelites, the workers in the vineyard, and the Pharisees, they all assumed that they should get more or that it should be done their way. And they're not happy 
with what God had freely given them and what God was doing, they wanted it their way. And in comparing what they had, they became ungrateful, right? They forgot about what they had and they put their eyes on what they didn't have. Paul said it like this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? Give thanks in every circumstance, right? Second thing is this. First thing is be more grateful. Second thing is this. Identify the source, right? Because it's coming from somewhere. This grumbling, this, this complaining, right? It's like somewhere I got off track and somewhere I, am, I'm, I got my eyes on the wrong thing, right? When you sense that you're becoming a grumbler or you say something and you go, man, that was grumbling, then, then you need to do a, a quick ID search. Where is this coming from? Typically, it's an external issue, something that is bugging us. But the truth of the matter is this, our complaining is coming from our heart. It's coming from somewhere deep down. Our focus has become on the external rather than on the internal. And here's the thing about complaining is it's dangerous. Right? Complaining is a dangerous thing, isn't it? I mean, think about what complaining does. When, when you're around somebody who complains, it does something, right? And here's what it does. It's a terrible witness for a child of God. It, it pushes people away. It tells people that your eyes are on stuff rather than on the God of all creation who is able to save your soul and give you eternal life. You're telling the world that your eyes aren't there, your eyes are on something else. It's a terrible witness about who God is and you're being ungrateful for what God is doing and your eyes are on the wrong thing and it, and it, and it shows, right? The second thing is this, that why it's dangerous is that it pushes people away from you. Nobody wants to be around that, right? I mean, nobody. You see it coming and you go the other way. Like how many of you, and I, this happened the other day. These aren't complaining, but this is the idea of going the other way. Walking through Walmart and in the back there by the electronics section are these guys trying to sell you like wireless service or something. You know what I mean? You walk near them and they go, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, what kind of service do you have at home, man? You're like, I didn't come here. I didn't come here for that. <laughs> you know, get away from me. I'm at Walmart shopping. Why are you asking me about it? You know, I don't want to be attacked by a salesman. You know, at Walmart, right? I mean, that, and so, so I see, you, you'd stand there, next time you go into the electronics, then just stand there and watch. You'll see people go like this, like through the clothing section and back up. <laughs> you know, because people don't want to be attacked by like that, right? And that's what happens when people complain. It's like, I don't want anything, I don't want to be near that. Pushes people away, and the third thing is this, it does reveal your heart. It reveals what's in your heart. Complaining does, right? Jesus said it like this, for out of the heart, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and false testimony and slander out of the heart. And the last thing is this, the last thing is this, bite your lip, right? Like honor God, bite your lip. That's, that's a good one to write. Think and then think again before you say it. Isaac and Leo both have the same cool little uh, Hot Wheel track thing. It's a circle. And it's got a little like a booster motor. And so they, they push the car into it and it goes zing. Zing, zing, you know, and every time it hits the motor, it just shoots out of there, right? Well, here's the truth about your, your mouth, your lips, but your lips, is that your lips are the last form of defense before the words leave, and you boost them out, right? They go, vroom, vroom, right? That's what's happening. And so before they leave your mouth, bite your lip and make sure what you're about to say isn't negative. It isn't a complaint. It isn't whining or crying or complaining about something. 
That's your final checkpoint, right? It's your lips. James said what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. See, once the words have left your mouth, you can't suck them back in. They're out there. They're going to do the damage. The damage is about to happen. Remember Peter walking on water? The reason he went down, started to sink, was because he took his eyes off the Lord. You take your eyes off the Lord and, and all kinds of evil will follow. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is look helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Your words, so important that nothing unwholesome comes out of our mouth, but only things that are going to build each other up. I know that's hard. That's hard. That's hard. We're emotional people, right? We see things and we react. I got to jump on it. But what we ought to do is choose to be a part of the solution, right? Like, so before you grumble, ask yourself, is this my selfish whining going about to happen? Or is there a real issue? Is somebody in danger? Is there a spiritual concern that I need to, to somehow bring about or reveal? And then we ought to go about it in a healthy way, right? And there are healthy ways to, to let things be known, and there are unhealthy ways, right? And, and then be a part of making it better. Don't just throw things out there expect other people to deal with it. If you're going to say something that needs to be said, then also be ready to help do it. Right? That's only fair, right? That's fair. That's, right. That's like normal. That's the way it ought to be. See, the damage of negative words and attitudes is hard to overcome once they're gone, once they're out there. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says this. Paul said it like this. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. All right? Oh, boy. So that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. We live in that kind of a world. Don't let the world rub off on you, right? Don't become like the world, the dark, grumbling world. But we are to be pure and blameless, who have our minds set on the things above, where Christ is seated, where he's coming back for us. And our attitude and our words ought to line up with him. Bite your lip. Because your complaining is like a billboard to your heart. That's a scary thing. It's saying, what your heart is saying is this. It's saying that your heart is not right, first of all. It's saying that your heart is, your mind and your thoughts are on the wrong things. But worse than that, and more importantly than that, is that you're saying this. You're saying you don't think that God is doing his job. And your complaint is not toward people. It's not toward your circumstances. Your complaining is about God. In the end, it's about what God is doing and you're not happy with what he's doing. Father, we love you so much and we want to be more like Jesus in everything that we do. And in this area of our speech and our tongue and our heart and, and, and being constructive and helping one another and growing together and help us not to be complainers. God, help us to have a, a sense of joy in our heart for what you are doing and what you've done and, and what you want to do and what we look forward to, the hope that is out front where we're headed for salvation and eternal life and all the things that are so amazing and good. God, help us not to get distracted by the things of the world that bring people down. 
Help us, Father, to guard our tongues, to guard our lips, to guard our hearts. We love you so much, and we want to be more like you, Father. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to sing. Would you stand with us? And we're going to close this out with this. If there's something going on, you want to pray together, you want to talk, I'll be here. If you want to grab an elder, they're here. Only Jesus is able to help us really conquer like our, our attitude and our hearts and our minds. So turn to him. Turn to him and find freedom.